Hi, this is Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. And this is Two Teachers Talking, a podcast where Tony and I get together to discuss our ideas about teaching, what we're doing in the classroom, outside of the classroom, talking about practical as well as uh, theoretical kinds of things. And today we're going to be getting pretty meta, I guess is the term, and theoretical, because we want to talk about teaching for the future. What do teachers do and what should we do about the fact that we have students who are transitioning in, into the digital age, which I think we still have not completely entered. So, Tony, how do you think of, what do you feel about this idea of teaching for the future and how do we update our teaching to integrate what's going on in the world? How's that for an abstract idea? Integrate yeah. what's going on in the world. I would bop a student for writing that in a paper. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think we've got any problem with what's going on in the world. I think the the problem we've got is, um, you know, is what you you know talking about the future. It's like what what is going to be happening in the world because yeah, who knows, right? Exactly, which is I think again something that as we've talked about before, I was um, very affected by a talk by Ken Robinson. Ken Robinson gave a TED talk a number of years ago. It's very popular in why how skills kill creativity, and the thing that really affected me was that he he used this example of that kids who are entering kindergarten at today, let's say, which is 2012, well, they would be retiring in 60 years. So that means those students would be retiring in 2072. How do we teach for that? I mean, I think about the fact that my 18-year-olds, this my freshman students, will be retiring in 2059, mm. which is a world that I can't even imagine. Mm. I mean, can you imagine that world? Uh, no. I have no idea no. what – I mean, what, if you were to take some guesses, what do you think is going to be happening then? Well, I think, um, you know, large scale, uh, I think uh, the, the big changes will be uh, employment and um, what a job is and uh, a, what a career is. I mean, we see that happening already where um, that, um, you know, that idea of uh, – in Japan, you know, kaisha ni haiteru – uh, entering a company and then staying with that company, you know, which has been like the Japanese you know, model. It's kind of been a stereotype um, slipping away very uh, quickly. It's already a thing of the past in, in a lot of other countries. People um, normally expected to have, you know, two or three, you know, sequential careers in their lives, um, you know, coupled with, you know, people get, you know, stay, uh, staying alive longer, staying healthy longer, staying young longer. Um, probably working longer as well. So the whole notion of what a, a job is or what a career is, I think, is going to be going to change dramatically. And I think um, the other um, aspect, you know, in terms of uh, our conversation, um, that I think is going to change uh, a lot is um, the whole idea of uh, a university education and um, not only its importance or significance, or but even what it is. Um, and we're, we're seeing, uh, that change already. And it's, you know, it's, it's more than just, you know, online classes. It's a, it's a whole different way of looking at acquiring knowledge, skills, and everything else that's part of education, maybe. Hmm. Well, I think the interesting thing for me is that, uh, I believe that our idea of a job is going to look like a very quaint idea. I think what – and I've kind of, you know, been listening to this whole thing about entrepreneurship and, you know, all how we have to teach entrepreneurship. But what I realized is that I once was um, visiting in California it's a number of years ago and talking – I met some people from Silicon Valley and I said, so, you know, how does somebody get a job in Silicon Valley? And these people looked at me <laughs> and, you know, they said, I don't know. We look for opportunities. Hmm. You know, we look to create businesses. And that's – struck me kind of strongly in the sense that I wonder how much people are going to have what we now consider to be a job. Yeah. Was this this year or was this a few – well, I'm sorry. I, I kind of faded out, but that was recently? No, no, no. This is a number of years ago. Yeah, so. it was like in the 90s, I think. I remember, right. I remember this 
conversation period that yeah, we were yeah. talking about a long yeah, time. Yeah, I went yeah. over to California. I was visiting, and one thing led to another, and the next thing I knew I was in the midst of this Silicon Valley kind of entrepreneurs meeting. Yeah, so that's so, already more than 10 years ago, right? That's like oh, 10, 15 yeah, years ago. yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so I actually saw that, and, you know, it stuck with me, right? Yeah, the I can idea. I can very easily see a, a world where, you know, such a much greater percentage of people are what we consider now freelance Mm, exactly. Right? I mean, you're just moving from situation to situation or opportunity to opportunity, right. um, as it were, rather than uh, being in a long-term employee of any kind. And that's going to, I think, gonna, the numbers of those kinds of people are just going to increase. Right. I think what's going to probably happen is that it would make sense that if there are corporations, they will be looking for the services, the right. groups or the people who can provide those services. The thing I remember about this was also you met with people and nobody had an office. Mm -hmm. You met with people at a restaurant, you met with people at Starbucks. And I, I, you know, I was just kind of almost doing some research, almost doing some kind of investigative journalism, I think is the best way to look at it or to, you know, describe what I was doing. And people were like, well, why would I pay for an office? I don't need an office. I'm, when you meet people, you meet people. And even then, they were connected enough with their Blackberries and uh, everything to manage everything. Mm. So if we look at the impact of mobile technology right away, what's the point of an office? So I think we have this idea that maybe even our notion of jobs. So let's bring it back to teaching. I'm so sorry, Tony. You wanted to say something there. I heard a oh gap. no, I was, either yeah, that was, was just... a gasp of disgust. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna I was gonna comment that um, yes, indeed, even in Japan, um, you know, the bulwark uh, against change, um, you can you see that a lot already. Um, if you, you eyes open on the trains and things, what people are doing. Um, and I don't mean you know just playing games on their on their cell phones, but um, you know people who are working and people who are basically mobile offices themselves. I mean you can see them. They are you know they set up on the train and they are. I'm sure they don't have an office. They're just working you know out of their car. Sometimes out of their car. Sometimes out of train stations and out of coffee shops. I think that's happening a lot. Mm. Yeah, I do see a lot of people who are very well connected, not in the sense of the – and that's a great <laughs> point. That term I think we're going to see as really shifting. Mm. That well-connected means how many people do you know? You know people in power. But I think well-connected is going to you know really mean in terms of how well you are set up in terms of um, you know your connectivity. Mm. So I know I have – I have you have this too, right? A little WiMAX. The, oh, yeah, sure. I, I think it's just it's whether it's WiMAX, a personal WiMAX, or whether it's going to be a general service. I think that's you know several years is just going to be assumed that you're universally anytime right. connected. Well, I know that's what, right. So I mean, students, most of my students now have mm-hmm. smartphones, mm-hmm. so we see that, and those come with automatic connectivity. So yeah, I think we're seeing it in Japan. So the question then again becomes: Okay, I'm a teacher. You're a teacher what we're doing in the classroom. What do we need to teach? How do we get these, you know, our, our, our charges ready for a world that we can't even predict? Because if you had told me 12 or 14 years ago that I would be able to have full internet connectivity while I was riding a train across Japan, I wouldn't believe you. So it, where's it going, do you think? What well, do we... I think, I think, and, and uh, I'm going to go out, way out on a, on a limb with this one, uh, lang- foreign language teachers, I don't think it's going to change that much. Hmm. I don't think that um, the core of what we teach, um, or or even how we teach it, and, and there, there, may, there I'm leaving myself open because uh, I'm not not convinced of that myself. But uh-huh, a swift of... parry to your abdomen <laughs> with my sword and slash cut and bleed. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think a lot of what we teach is going to is going to stay the same. Um, Reading skills, for example, I mean, that's going to stay the same. Um, the ability to analyze uh, information. Wait, wait, wait. Who's, who's teaching analyzation, analy- analytical skills right now? Come on. <laughs> Besides me, I don't know. Besides a few of the people we know, you, m- myself, and a few other people. I don't so think. analysis, um, um, the, the critical thinking, which hit the, the, okay. the let me interrupt you. Co-opted. Yes, I know where you're going. Yeah. Let me. Well, okay. Well, if I'm, you know where I'm going, then I'd like to say thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah, take yeah, a you break. Might want to tune out. 
no. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna but do you have a better do you have a better term for that? Do you have a better well, a replacement I, term for critical thinking? Well, it's not that I want to go to the critical thinking. I want to uh, um, go to that which you know the new buzzword now right, that I exactly. can see. I, I don't want to do that. But what I want to say is that I want to agree with you on the reading skills. Hmm. Very much so. In fact, I think that the um, current emphasis on speaking and listening mm. in a lot of classes is dated. I think mm -hmm. that most of our students will be using reading and writing skills as they use English in the future. And I, because what, that's how you're going to use social media. Mm. It's going to be written and it's going to be having to um, write it and read it. So I think there needs to be an increased emphasis on reading skills and writing skills. I think that I do not know too many people who are teaching analytic skills in the classroom. In fact, I think most people are still teaching basic language skills. So I think that we, yes, we have to start bringing in critical thinking skills into the classroom. And in fact, I think the big change we have to make is that courses should be designed around critical thinking skills and that we kind of wrap the material kind of around that framework. So that that's where the vocabulary comes from. That's where the comprehension activities come from. I just, you know, but anyway, my, my pet peeve is, I think you have it too, right? Is that everybody says, oh, yes, yes, we teach critical thinking skills. Um, and they're not. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I told you the story that I was looking at some textbooks. Uh, right, one of right. the reps had This, this is where I thought you were going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Well, that was a long roundabout way to getting to <laughs> Tony will now speak for me using different voices. <laughs> but, yeah, but, I mean the, having that, that um, term co-opted and, and now a buzzword and adapted I'm, to I, the same exercises that have been in the book for It's, it's exactly years. what it is. I, I, I mean, I looked at it and it's I said – It's a marketing said, term. I said to the rep, I said, these are not critical thinking exercises. These are comprehension exercises. So if you say, what is the main idea of the discussion? That is not a critical thinking question, right? Yeah. You know, so um, this, this, though, goes back to something you've mentioned before, which is that the manner in which the system is able actually to – what's the word I'm looking for? Not corrupt, but uh, twist – an important skill and maintain the status quo. I'm watching critical thinking is included in syllabi, but there's no critical thinking. Yeah, it kind of replaces communicative competence. Exactly. <laughs> Identify the main ideas of a subject. No, I mean, critical thinking, of course, this is a great question where I turn to you and I say, well, Tony, would you please define critical thinking? And you say, Charles, why? And I say, well, that's because I can't define it. And mm. <laughs> nobody. But the idea of being able to weigh evidence, to identify what is in the argument, where are the ideas, to be able to assume what, you know, the veracity of the discussion. Mm. These are critical thinking ideas. How do you make a decision? Problem solving skills, for example. Right, right, right. And none of this is being addressed. But I think that, yeah. I'm going off the deep end here, too, in a sense that I believe that the big change we have to make is that critical thinking actually has to be at the center of the foreign language teaching curriculum and that it becomes the scaffold and framework in which we build our lessons around. So there is my opinion on that. <laughs> a long opinion. So if you're, I mean, if you're, if you're teaching that already, then as as I think I am, or like to believe that I am, then that probably isn't going to change a whole lot. Um, English, you know, uh, accepted or not, lingua franca, it, that's probably not going to change. Uh, I mean, more people may or may not be speaking Chinese in the future. Um, I don't see English fading much that way. Um, in terms of the, you know, the very traditional idea of the liberal education the general enrichment of learning a foreign language and foreign culture. Um, I don't see that changing that much. And um, one of the other things that we, that uh, you and I talked about and not in a, um, in a public broadcast, but one of the, one, in one of our practice sessions was about um, the value or not of um, teaching academic writing. Mm. And we talked about, um, the analytical skills involved there and the discipline and things and um, um, other things with, you know, that kind of get slipped in with the food 
um, of our lessons, but um, the other kinds of processes that get taught. For example, um, you know, just like in terms of foreign language, you've got your memorization, you've got like restructuring your whole um, worldview, you've got putting different con- wording concepts differently and having forcing yourself to rethink certain concepts um, to fit the vocabulary or the structures of the of the, of the target language. Um, that's probably not going to change things like you know, the, uh, like we talked about the logic of Latin, right? We, we learn Latin not because anybody speaks Latin because nobody does, but because of the uh, logic inherent, the discipline and the uh, forcing you to learn to think logically. The well, that was the with... claim. Those were the claims of my literature professors who said, <laughs> you guys should go to learn Latin. Mm. And all of us jumped up and down and ran into the, the, the registrar's <laughs> office and immediately signed up for Latin courses. Right. Yeah. But, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't believe them. But there but was the, that. Ge- that was the geometry, argument, right? Mm. I mean, geometry, the whole thing, like uh, direct and indirect proof. You're never going to have to think about that. But the, uh, the skill that you get in dealing with cold, basic logic for analysis and problem solving um, stays with you. I mean, it's the same kind of logic that I think you talked about, um, you know, teaching programming. There's right. no step and there's no skipped steps. There's no assumptions. You have to prove what you, what you've got. And so you're going to say something, you've got to prove it. You've got to have facts. You've got to back it up. Right. Well, I was say, well, there's two, it's two sides to that about the coding which is actually the term I've started to use now, okay. but um, or programming. But one is that exactly that is that programmers, when I've talked to them, the asking them how they go about actually, you know, coding for an assignment, right, and how they think through things and the steps and how they solve that problem that has value just in and of itself but the other side of that is i wonder how much of the future is going to be individuals just you know pulling little pieces of apps together and creating apps to solve a problem that you're working on you have to do yeah but in in order to pull those things together you've got to have the vision you've got to have those skills and the ability to look at it and and to just to i'd be able to identify okay this is what i need yes yes so Mm. i think that in one sense, we're going to see actually, in some ways, there will be a return to a more traditional kind of education. I mean, the idea is, again, that this idea of problem solving and rigor, I think it was Gregory Bateson who who talked about rigor and imagination, mm. that these are the two requirements for intellectual success. And I got this from a, a friend of mine, um, Ian Frank, who I used to work with up in Hokkaido, and he talked a lot about this this idea of rigor rigor and imagination. Mm. So that brings back the whole point that we talk about critical thinking and it's something also Ken Robinson in his talk mentioned. And by the way, we'll put up the link for the Ken Robinson talk on the website. Um, the idea that creativity is as important now as general literacy. And that we have to, that it's creativity and problem solving that we also have to look at. So, I think we have critical thinking, which can be gained through certain kinds of studies. And that's the argument with learning the language, right? Mm. Learning a foreign language is that it does give you some kinds of abilities in terms of logic and I think the rigor and understanding things systematically. Sure. And um, one of the things with the uh, specifically with not, I guess it doesn't have to be specifically with the, with the writing or the academic writing is that the discipline of having your words express what you mean with precision. Ah, being what, able to say what you mean. Yes, yes, yes. And I having love. your words mean what you say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, when I teach my, my academic class, especially the graduate ones, I love to ask the students. And a lot of times these are uh, um, students who have come over to Japan and they're in a special program. And a lot of t- some of them are engineers. And I like to say, what's the difference between accuracy and precision? That's fun. Mm. So I like that, the, the fact that you used precision. Mm. Yeah, so you can be totally wrong, <laughs> with, and still be, be very, very precise. <laughs> you can do both, right? Yes, accuracy and precision. Yeah, you can be very precise with your inaccuracy, or you with your wrongness, so to speak. Right. I, and I'm perfect proof of that in the classroom, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but there is also the idea that we live in a world where information is readily ex- accessible. Yes, I mean, do you remember it used to be that? Um, I don't know when you went to school, and I think I may have mentioned this before in one of the podcasts, but 
I was a literature major. And if we were sitting around and we had a question about what was happening when um, James Joyce or somebody else was writing a novel or something, and we didn't know the answer, the first question was, does anybody know an art history major? Because it was the art history majors who knew everything. And now you would never do that. I mean, if the question came up, hey, who, who won the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1964? Hmm. It doesn't require, you know, the person being knowledgeable. That's a simple Google search, right? Yeah, that's and that brings up it's a whole another interesting question uh, on its own because, yeah, when it comes to that type of thing, that kind of information is instantly accessible. But um, an individual with a paucity of that kind of information in his in his or her head already. Uh, become somewhat hindered in their analytic skills because they've got less examples, they've got less background, they've got less framework to put things in. Whereas, you know, you come up with a situation, someone who's knows the history of World War One or World War Two is, ah, well, this is similar to what happened in Versailles. We, we, we know what's going to happen there. But, yeah, you can look it up. You can Google and say, okay, Treaty of Versailles. Ah, but... You don't know to look for that that pattern unless the pattern's already in your brain. Mm. So this is the are... difference between information and knowledge. There you go. Right? And ha this is why <clears throat> people will argue that we still have to teach subjects mm. and we have to teach subject matter. Because I agree with you that without having that knowledge, and basically information is deeply – or knowledge is deeply processed information that is connected and – is in a situation where people understand the connectivity yeah, of, it, it, of that information that's been assimilated into a framework. Right. Yes, it's, thank you for saying that so much more clearly than I. I guess I didn't pass your writing class there <laughs> with neither accuracy nor precision. But I think there's an argument for that. But I do think we also have to address the fact, though, that we do live in a world where things are available on your phone. Hmm. And um, we... I think, again, it's a difference of looking at process versus procedures. Mm. And this goes back. I'm kind of circling around. I'm not as um, clear-headed as I hopefully would like myself to be. But it goes back to critical thinking, where critical thinking is taught as a, as a procedure, a series of steps people should go through, rather than it's a process, and it's a deep process. Mm. So we, I think, again, the value of content-based classes in the language classroom has value imparting and imbuing knowledge to students about things because they you're right you have to have that stuff inside before you can actually figure out what you want to do yeah you have to you have to know what you know before you realize what you don't know and what you or, need to know or you have to know what you don't know there you go yeah that is like that's what was that rumsfield's comment the known knowns and the uh, the unknown unknowns and I was like, I was shocked, by the way. I know I'm getting a little slightly political, but I was shocked that people took him to task for that. I think he really nailed it on the head there, right? I, I, yeah. I, that I, he I, made I, a very fair statement, right, that there are unknown things, you know. So we need to look at that. So, okay, um, we're you were talking about the need for reading. I think there's a good argument that writing will continue. How else do you think we're going to have – Teaching for the future. How do we prepare our students? How do we get them ready for a, um, a future where probably everyone's walking around with Google glasses and information that they need is uh, automatically coming up in front of them? I guess we'll all look like the world will look like Terminator, the way the Terminator saw the world, right? If you step out into the world, I guess it would, yeah, but there probably well, less of that as well. A lot of, a lot of more people staying in their, in their own little caves. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll go back, I'll fall back on um, liberal education, my old friend Newman. Um, I think part of it, the importance of what, and I think it's always has been important, but I think the maybe it, in this context it gets, the importance gets underscored, um, teaching people how to learn. Mm. Well, you know, in addition to giving them the knowledge that hopefully will then get assimilated into, a, you know, a framework of, of of knowledge that they'll be able to carry around with them, the teaching them how to augment that and build on that themselves um, without mm. the need for the teacher, right? Mm. Um, teaching them how to do that, that I think is as close as we can get because then whichever way the 
whichever the, the future turns, they have that skill set to be able to adapt. Mm, I completely agree. I mean, again, there's a big catch-all. The term is autonomous learning. But I know... Okay, just don't ask me how. <laughs> right. Well, talk about pet peeves. You know, it's an amazing thing to me when a student now says, I don't know how to do something. And all I do is I utter one word, <laughs> Google. And I try to explain to students... Um, um, actually, it happens in my personal life all the time, too, is I don't understand why people are asking me questions on how to do something. Mm-hmm. When I have a question on how to do something, I Google it. If I try to do something new, if there's some new thing. For example, I remember the first time I decided that I'd build a computer, put my own, you know, together with pieces, right? This is when I was making a, my little Hackintosh, right? Mm. And... Um, there was nobody around to teach me how to do it, but there is so much information available. So, yes. Well, see, I, that's what you, that's what you've got to teach the kids because yes, exactly. you're obviously a person who knows how to do that, and you know how to learn. You know, I know how to, how to, I you know how to, to get information, and you know how to learn. But this is what this is more of a traditional skill, wasn't? Mm. That was what I remember learning. We were taken to the library. You were taught how to use an encyclopedia. I remember what was the thing where um, God, it's so old. It was the little green. Um, journals that were the guide to all the things that were published every year in magazine and journals. Uh, the Reader's Guide to Periodic Literature. Uh, Do you remember points, that? Points. Points for pulling that one out. Great. Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> now I do. Oh, it's sorry. Like, oh, yeah. What were those? Yeah. yeah, I yeah well, okay. Those. I'm dating myself. Excellent. Here. But I remember that we were taken in and that this is the, the you know, they, the, the who are they? They, they, the, our teacher, my teachers. And the idea was that they would teach us how to find information. And I wonder how many students are actually taken through systematically to learn, here's how you use Google, here's how you would use Google Scholar, here's how you would use um, Wikipedia properly. (laughs) Well, from my experience, I can tell you very, very few. Yes, exactly. So I think um, that's something else we have to do. I know that a lot of the students at my university don't even know how to use the databases, online databases, Mm. for getting information. So... Right. Autonomous learning is one of those catch-all terms that I completely agree with. But again, I think we're both saying this isn't new. Right? This is, I think, the liberal arts education. I remember this was part of being a lit major. And you were supposed to know things. For example, it's, um, again, you know, I'm tuning my own education, which I think I was fortunate was a very good one. Is I remember going into, I think it was the um, 19th century American and British literature, and the professor immediately started the first day of class by asking us, who was prime minister of England when a certain novel was written? And we all looked around kind of like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, how can you read a novel without knowing that? Hmm. You know, what was the music? What kind of music were people listening to? So this general sense of, I think expecting people to have knowledge is important. Again, mm. returning to the traditional liberal arts education, um, better reading skills. I completely agree. Writing skills, especially for teaching process and then you know, for precision and accuracy. But what about what we usually do in the classroom? And this is what I mentioned before to you. Um, in language classroom, was, I was uh, teaching directions the other day right you know this one this is the obvious no-brainer one where i was teaching directions and i then said okay you know i should make this real i turned to my students and i said are there any um, bookstores in near the school and all of a sudden one or two students pulled out their smartphones (laughs) and google maps and i realized i'm teaching something that has no importance any longer Mm. this is definitely not valid so, well, you have to know how to ask Siri. <laughs> <laughs> but again, Siri will be in your language. And for those people who don't know what Siri is, the, um, Siri is Apple's smart assistant, AI voice-activated um, inter- user interface. Is that don't a good way don't, to describe Don't it? insult our listeners. Our listeners know who Siri is. That, that's probably very true. Do you think yeah. so? Yes, I do. 
They might, yeah. Even if they don't use it, and I'm sure they, it, it's it's pretty widespread. I'm sorry if I've insulted you, listeners, and if that's my worst insult to you in the entire history of this podcast, <laughs> then I don't feel so bad. I usually do far worse for opening my mouth within five <laughs> minutes when I meet people, but I think Siri, you know, will be in your natural language, right? Of your course, native language. Of course. So, what else is going to be obsolete for teaching. I think directions, asking people, is there something here? I think that's obsolete already. Mm. What's going to become obsolete next? I think reading menus. Yeah. I think there's got to be an app pretty soon where you just aim your your phone or your Google glasses. Well, I guess if there's, yeah, I guess there's one area where um, actual, the, the actual practical language skills that need to get taught will change dramatically is uh travel english yes because because that's where tra- technology really is kind of transforming the whole interaction process there and it's big big impact and yeah why why teach the language and when you can just teach the you know the electronic skills to get <laughs> i mean you talk about survival skills right mm. shifting away from the linguistic to you know technolo- technology Right, so I think um, ordering food in a restaurant, uh, asking directions, reading signs, navigating an airport. I mean, all those things even of um, going through customs, right? Call, call, calling a hotel for a reservation. Wait, 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 what? 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 Using a phone? Using voice? Using yeah. my phone for voice? Why would I do yeah, that? Airplane, t- you know, travel agents, uh, hotels, mm-hmm. restaurants. Right, changing um, a seat assignment all of this i think is going to go by the wayside and the the positive side of that i think it's going to free language teachers up to teach more of the critical thinking process skills problem solving skills and and basic you know know, again cliche but communication Mm. i mean person to person communication i mean that that isn't going to change you know language as 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 the basic as the basic medium of communication not going away. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've seen actually people sitting next to each other, and I'm convinced they're texting each other. Well, they're using language. <laughs> it's not a language it's that my spoken. generation it's understands. It's not spoken, but it's, but, it's, but it's a language. Yes. But how do we – I think also then it's fair to say texting or the way written language is being used, it's, it's definitely email is no longer the prime communication medium. Hmm. Right, I think for young people, the use of uh, social um, social media, I think Twitter is definitely transforming how information is being communicated and sent to people. Mm. Do we need to? I think it's. I think it's augmenting. I don't. I don't know that it's. You've got. It, it takes care of the 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 practical stuff, and it takes care of like the entertainment things, and it takes care of the immediate you know details of information. Um, I don't see the need going away for like longer blog type entries or other kinds of internet expression going away. And I think that's uh, when you talked about the importance of written skills. I think I think there's your evidence for that. Um, not everything, even in Japanese, not everything is going to be. You can't communicate everything in 140 characters. Although it's it's unfair. <laughs> it sure is. It really. It's amazing that <laughs> I, I know. I I, 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 I I tell my students this all I, the time. You guys are at such an advantage over us. I am. I'm pissed off daily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's that was before Twitter, Tony. You've always been pissed off on a daily basis. So yeah. Well, but go. That's a that's another podcast. <laughs> But, I, yeah, it's going to – well, I'm not sure where it's going to go, for example, um, that I think if one were, for example, to look historically at just how – have you ever read like these old letters written in English from people like 150 years ago mm. and then 100 years ago? And they used to use these con- convoluted, really lengthy sentences. And over time, sentences have grown shorter and shorter. Sure. Yeah. I really wonder whether that's a trend, is that there's a pattern there, and that people will try to communicate in short bursts, lots of little short bursts, which is what we see if you use a text messaging service. Mm-hmm. Even now, for example, I have some friends and colleagues in the United States that we don't send emails. They will send their message Skype, a text message on Skype. 
And then it's a lot easier because what happens in Skype, and I love this when you, if you're sending messages in Skype, is everything's there, right? The whole conversation. Mm. And that's the difference. A program like Skype, where you're posting your messages back and forth, appears to be a conversation, while mm. email appears to be a separate series of documents. Mm. And I wonder if email is going to continue, because sometimes it is very difficult to follow an email thread. Mm. Right, you know, once the seventh email's gone back and forth, don't you think? Um, I'm not. I'm almost never engaged in a conversation of that length with email. Right, and uh, I know certain mail mail clients have ways to make that easier, the but I, I do not disagree with you. I think um, the the Skype experience, where the entire conversation is there in one window, um, is a very different thing than uh even an email that has all the you know previous you know iterations of, of the exchange listed below it you know in you know indented uh right you know ad infinitum <laughs> off to the right off to the edge of the off the edge of the window there right. but yeah a very different thing yeah and i think it's going to be interesting to see how as technology we're seeing it now that in some ways the technology is imposing changes on us and how we have to communicate. But on the other hand, the technology is advancing enough that the more traditional ways of communicating are appearing in technology. I think Skype's a good example or a text chat mm. um, program where um, we're not being imposed upon by the structure of an email with reply and embedded and indented um, previous messages that the technology will allow for more conversational style or traditional communication and it's great because you can type something along and it does we can have um, asynchronous communication now and yeah. that i think is the big change but the one thing i'm going to i'm going to address here that i think that technology i'm really wondering who's going to be able to make you know this change right who's going to be able to solve this problem which is the problem of time zones and that is going to be the reason why I think writing and reading are going to become just so important, mm. right? There's just no way to get around the fact that some people are not at work when I am at work because they're especially, on the other yeah, side especially of the world. you know the world's getting much smaller. You're communicating, you know, it doesn't you know doesn't matter where the person is on the planet exactly, except for that factor, except for the time, right? And time that's shift. what pe that's what the other thing about we're, we're teaching our students is that there's no longer going to be any kind of Japanese or American company. Hmm. There's no reason for that any longer. You're going to be in connected groups or teams, and that somebody's going to be on. West of you, somebody's going to be east of you, somebody's going to be north of you and south of you. Although that might be interesting is that whether or not companies start moving towards more, you know, ah, we can only have affiliates north of us or south of us within like one or two, <laughs> you know, time zones, right? I think that's a big thing. So, again, support for the idea of reading, writing, um, being able to communicate your ideas clearly. So that's an interesting point. Anything else that comes to mind? Um, not in terms of the big picture. I might I might want to just throw out, you know, just in terms of like um, looking at the at the present for signs of change uh, and the way things are done and what's being done, what's not being done. Just kind of a couple of anecdotes. One of the schools where I teach, um, each year at the beginning of the first semester for their freshmen. Um, we are uh, we take our class to the library still um and the librarian gives a little, little spiel on you know basically the what not the card catalog but uh, using their um using their database in the library and to look for where a book is and each kid gets a book and they've got to go find the book and you know gives them the you know, just the nuts and bolts of using their library that's one school another school um uh, which uh, they used to have as a requirement, but now it's an option that the, the teacher can elect to do for their um, uh, advanced writing classes is also a library session. But at this school, the the session is entirely using the computers. There's no book involved. They just teach the kids the computer system that the in the university for them has set up for that library. And also, you know, being able to actually 
if need be, get the books either from this, from that library, or from you know the um, associated libraries in in Japan. And um, also for that class and other classes as needed, I also will give a, a, a give a full class to um, finding resources, finding information, um, using things like, um, of course, basic Google and, and the shortcuts. You know, the, you know, the the, uh, the Boolean things mm-hmm. and quotations and pluses and minuses. Um, search, but also um, Google Scholar, Google Books, mm. uh, the Amazon Look Inside feature, uh, Project Gutenberg, um, and also um, basic strategies for using Google. Right, and we, we you talked a little bit, you know, just brushed uh, past, you know, a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, how, what what do you put into that search field to get what you want? And, you know, think like the machine and how does the machine think? So, okay, what do you need to put in? What can you leave out? How, and then how, do you, how do you broaden your search? How do you narrow your search? All those kind of things, so the things that I do in the classroom. So looking into the future, you can kind of see small signs of where that shift is happening. You know, I mean, the fact that this – and this uh, the school that does the uh, library session, like um, – with just computers, it's been doing that for about ten years. Hmm. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, <laughs> small steps, right? Baby right. steps. I, I was just thinking back to I think it was about 1998. I think this is when you and I first met, right? And hmm. that every school had to have a picture of students in a in a computer lab. Yeah. In their pamphlets. And I'm in a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) You're in a lot of those pictures. You look like the kind of guy who would use a computer. I think somebody just called me a geek. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right that there's a lot of those kinds of things. Um, And maybe where other things are going, and I could be wrong on this, but I think this is where it's going to go, is that there's going to be a lot more integration of open source software that people who are putting things together and putting them out there for people to use. I think that's another area where our students have to become familiar with things if they're going to keep up with the future. And I'm thinking of things like Zotero, which is an open source alternative to EndNote mm-hmm. that lets you, that makes, you know, unbelievably will actually allow you to do your insight, your in-text citations, generate your bibliography. It generates timelines to show when you've downloaded materials so you can see what you're doing. It generates reports. But a lot of people don't know about these things and teaching that. But um, the question is here, why am I, as a foreign language teacher, introducing my students to academic tools that they should be introduced to in an orientation session as a freshman? Hmm. That's, I think, an interesting question to ask. Yeah, Um, and 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 I'm not even sure that that's the place for it because uh, orientation sessions, right – uh, the, well, I'm talking they, about like a library orientation. Yeah, because the information is so overwhelming at the beginning. Um, but you understand what I mean. It, I, I do mean, know. I know exactly what you mean. And I'm just wondering, isn't it something that they should have know before they get to college? <laughs> isn't that something that maybe – Oh, you mean like writing skills, the ability to think, <laughs> the ability to do ah, – The ability to interact with your, your teacher by instead of kind of going, uh <laughs> – well, scratch any cynic and you'll find an idealist. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Thank you, thank you for bailing me out on that one. I was definitely diving down the quick, you know, the, the rabbit hole of cynicism. Um, but this goes back to what should students know before they get into college? Hmm. And so now we have to look at what's happening in high school. And I, I know this is – I the way that, that my program works at my school, I have to go out and observe – my seminar students in their student teaching. And they go out to these schools, and do you know that not a single one of the schools that I visited has any tech in the classroom? In I'm fact, not I'm not even, I think there's even a possibility that there are no courses of technology and education, that there's no requirement for, te- for future teachers to show any competency using technology. No, so I'm I not think, surprised at all. I live in Japan. I know right, exactly. yeah. So I mean, people who who are not here might be shocked and probably don't believe you. Right, They would, because of the image of Japan, again, sure. as being this high-tech country. But my daughter, who goes to international school, um, which will now require me to work until I'm 112 years old, I'm going to have to be cryogenically frozen and mm. still working, I not think. Not a choice. 
Okay, not a Quit choice. <laughs> not a choice. Keep going. And <laughs> stop talking and just bail <laughs> all you can. But the difference from her going from Japanese elementary school to a classroom where there are um, she has to use a computer. She has to do blog posts. She has to be using PowerPoint or other kinds of you know applications to present and show her knowledge and talk about things in classroom is is, is vital. My my daughter is more competent with a, a ten year old girl is now more competent with a computer than most of my twenty year old university students. And that's the and that's the question that I have is that, and it's not necessarily a dump on the schools, but again, I, I don't know who to no dump one on. ever dumps on schools. So, but and as you know, teachers, how right? does in you know two thousand twelve, uh, a first world country, Japan, how does a student, how does a person get to be eighteen or nineteen years old, and not know these things. I don't know how that happens. Right. I don't know how that happens. How can they even, uh, for, I mean, for their own interests, right? I mean, why wouldn't, how could they have not picked this up? Yeah. Well, I was, I think, you know, that I use Moodle in my classes. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another thing we were going to, we should talk about um, how people have to lear- use learning management systems. Mm-hmm. And it was frustrating last year um, trying to get the students to register for the classes. And then at a certain point, I asked students, uh, This we talked about this in one of our tech segments, I asked the students to download CMAP, which is mind mapping software. And a student came to, my, came to me and said, um, I'm having trouble downloading and installing the software. And I said, well, what's the problem with installing? She goes, I don't know how to install software. I can beat you. Yeah. Yeah. I what have, I mean, uh, you know, for one of, for my topics classes, I have um, study guides and collections of articles that students can you know, easily find. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, you know, require the students every week to do, you know, research before they come to class and uh, discuss the, the topic. And I had a student last week and uh, she comes up with another student. She says, well, she points to the other student's papers and go. How do I get this? And I says, well, no, I, I gave you the URL. I said, no, 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 no. But how do I get it to print? Wow. I don't know if you beat me on that one. <laughs> I, mean, I don't okay, know. Downloading right, to, a program, okay, printing? Please vote. Please vote. Printing a which, page, which, downloading which, a program. Yeah. Or no, it's right. clicking on and installing a program and saying yes, install, agree. Yeah. A print, a print, I mean, a print is but, a two, ah, two clicks. No, no, print no, is two ah, clicks. Ah, ah, ah. That's the point, right? What we're both appalled by or shocked by is the inability for somebody to click on something. That's it. That's, I think, in in 2012. Exactly. Now, see, I, in the late 90s, mid 90s, late 90s, I taught a computer English class. And in that class, I had students who, again, this is still shocking, but understandable to us. Mid 90s, late 90s, students in that class are freshmen, university. Maybe sophomore university. First time in front of a computer. They didn't understand. You know, with the mouse, I had to take their fingers, single click and double click. I had to press their into so they with their hold their finger and click on the mouse to get them to okay. do what they just you know to do anything. Well, it's kind of funny. That reminds me. I, I remember once watching one of the old Star Trek movies. Did you ever watch any of those? Mm, the old you know, movies? No, the TV show. Yeah. Okay, but they, they made some movies, and at one point they, mm. have, they end up coming back in time or something because uh, the, the whales are going to save the humans or something. Mm. And, yeah, and that could happen. They come back in time, and, and Scotty, the engineer, needs to use a computer, and it's like 1970s or 1980s America. <laughs> and he, he says to the, uh, the guy, says, okay, the guy says to Scotty, please use the computer. And, of course, Scotty walks up, and he starts talking to the computer. Okay? <laughs> and the guy says, no. No, 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 no. Use the mouse. And Scotty says, okay. And then he picks up the mouse and speaks into the mouse as if it's. <laughs> but he was just a little ahead of his time. Yeah, just. And he goes, oh, a keyboard. How quaint. <laughs> but you're right. I think that we're wondering how to. St- okay, but this again brings up the problem of a university educator, which is that we get students who are not ready, who are not prepared in many ways for advanced education for higher education. Right. And, and yet, the, just one little idea to throw out there, though, which, which um, hooks really well with your, your Scotty story. <clears throat> um, yeah, and so, okay, so here I was teaching kids how to use a mouse. That's wasted time, too, 
because we talked about, you know, 50 years from now, there, there are going to be no mice 50 right. years from now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a temp, it's, it's, and I guess maybe the question that, that we're, we're struggling with is, okay, short-term expedience, what do you need to know now to get you to that point in the future so that then you'll be ready to be able to do something else? Because yeah, you won't need keyboard or mouse skills in 50 years from now because the interface will be completely different. Right. But you have to learn how to learn. Yes, pick yeah, up yeah. those things exactly. Because I, I think back to having to teach. The idea is that any anyone entering college right now would understand how to use a word processor and a spreadsheet. And teaching people how to use certain kinds of software, I think, is wrong. I mean, again, the idea is that we have to teach people how to be able to teach themselves to use the software. Right. And how to be able to adapt, uh, because I have, you know, we've we talk about where's where's the university going, right? You brought that up earlier. That a university in ten or fifteen years is not going to look like the university we know now, and this brings up, which I think is not just teaching for the future, but what do teachers need to do to get ready to be teachers in the future? Because I don't think we're going to be going into classrooms, you know, and teaching four periods in another fifteen or twenty years. I think. Well, I know at... I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are wondering exactly how old Tony and I are, you now have a basic idea. <laughs> but I don't... I'll be lucky to walk anywhere in 20 years. Yeah. Now, we'll have replacement parts. Did, right. I ever, did I ever tell you, I, I'm convinced that you know we're, we're part of the last generation that's probably going to live lives under 125 years. I mm. think pretty soon they're going to be able to replace parts and, mm -hmm. you know, grow stem cells. And it's not going to matter. We're going to basically be immortal, but it won't matter. It's because we polluted the earth so bad nobody can live here anymore. Mm -hmm. So, But the idea that of a student just learning in a classroom, I think, the idea that learning occurs in a classroom rather than it's going to be occurring online. We're seeing that happen now. Stanford has done an incredible amount around that. Um, and there's the idea. Have you heard about this idea of the flipped classroom? Yes. Yeah, which is, I think, is an old idea. If you were a lit major, the classroom, you always did your homework huh. to prepare for the next class. Huh. Right? Instead of the idea, which I think most people employ, is that homework is practicing what occurs in the classroom. Hmm. So you have like Khan Academy, where you can go online and get these five or ten minute short lessons on math or statistics. And you can teach yourself basically while you're at home. And you then go to the classroom, which becomes the group activity or the pair work where you apply what you've learned. So the idea is that the classroom is not used as the introduction or the instructional basis for... It's not the information home. point. Exactly. In other words, you go home, you log online to the website or whatever's been created by the teacher, or you click on the links. And, you know, there are what there are. YouTube, you have videos, you can even go online, for example, you could go into a virtual reality, you know, second life, an immersive virtual environment, and you could actually build things. There are physics experiments, chemistry simulations, and um, I think we're going to have simulated environments that are somewhat realistic, that people have what's called presence, a sense of presence, where you actually believe you're in the world, an increase in the use of games for educating students. Right, um, these online um, games like World of Warcraft or even online—I don't know—there's so many of them where people actually feel immersed in these. Oh, worlds. sure, it's 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 not hard to imagine that. So you know, zip ahead, you know, to a foreign language learning environment. Fifty years from now, you have an online bot that is programmed in the target language that you're that you're trying to learn, and um, through you know, just you can choose whether it's written communication or. Or oral communication, talk to the bot, write to the bot. The bot will uh, analyze your input and respond to you at an appropriate level with a, you know, a plus alpha, as they say here, and uh, grade you and chart your progress and uh, gauge your areas of interest and steer you different ways. Yeah, why not? Uh, am I a bot? <laughs> That's what <laughs> I do now, isn't it? But I... I mean it more in the sense that right, but it would be all individually tailored yes right? but that's what's well that's that's the beauty of it <clears throat> that's where it's going is that the system the program whatever you want to call it the actually the platform i think would be the appropriate word will be able to tailor to so that 
we'll finally be able to achieve that I plus one, right? Right. Exactly. That the, you know, the input will be at the exact right level to account for learning. So I think that we're going to see a lot more use, though, of games, of these immersive worlds where people will actually go in and have an avatar and identity, and they will engage in a simulated world, whether it's you know shopping or in a meeting, for example. And that will give them a lot more opportunities for practice. And by the way, it's an interesting thing, though. I, I've done some work with these immersive virtual environments, and the great thing about it is that if you give students homework and they have to actually go in and uh, work in these immersive worlds and they're using text chatting to communicate, you can it gets time-stamped and you can get them to send you their, their the chat logs so that you're able to see they can actually do the homework at home and still be doing pair work mm, instead of sure. homework being an isolated activity. Mm, mm, mm. And that's a nice thing. Um, very, very. I, I like that, but it takes so long to get the students up to speed because, again, their computer skills and you know are just non-existent basically once we start them there. Um, so I think there's a lot that's going to go on in that way, right? The use of technology, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all turns out, and getting the students ready for this. But the world is going to move real, real quickly. And it's going to start moving more quickly. And I think it's impossible for us to predict. So we come back to how do we teach our students to learn? And nothing is more important than that. How do you educate yourself so that you have a problem, there's something you need to do, or there's something you need to learn, and you know how to go about learning? Well, let's figure that out and make that a program, an episode in the future. Mm, we can do that. I mean, <laughs> how to learn how to learn? Yeah, how to teach how to learn. Well, where should I start, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What should I read first? What should I read first? Google it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it does. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That that's your first response. Yeah. And that some people... How quickly first... it's how quickly it's changed. It really is. And then, of course, we are going to have to, you know look at how this the technology that's just coming over the foreseeable future is going to affect us and you know my big my big thing right now is 3d printing mm -hmm. um, and how that's going to change everything i think and um, i know you've been forwarding me with some emails about that mm. so there are technologies that are very transformative and will change how people interact and work and again we have to provide our students with those skills. And specifically, I think you really believe in the basics, that that's the bedrock. Yeah, because uh, the world around us changes very, very quickly, but human beings kind of don't. Oh, me caveman, want food. <laughs> we, we caveman, yes. <laughs> exactly. It does, right. we, we, can, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we've come such a long way. It doesn't take much to revert back to the cave, right. I'm telling yeah. you. Well, yeah, well, you know, that's a funny point because I wonder. You, some, who was it? I, I was at a talk one day and somebody said that, or I read it somewhere, that if we were to be able to resurrect like Socrates or Plato or, whether, or any of these people, right, from a few thousand years ago and put them into a standard classroom, that they would feel right at home. I think that I read something like that too. I must yeah. have the same thing. And I wonder, um, I was just thinking about this, that maybe one of the big things that teachers have to start doing um, this is another different podcast, but I'm just going to hint at it or kind of uh, skate over it real quickly, is I think we're going to start having to integrate a lot more or neuroscience, cognitive science into how we teach and really looking at that. For example, really understanding how the way we introduce vocabulary or any material, what kind of load that's putting on working memory, how we're going to optimize working memory, for example. How we're going to optimize attention and what we know about attention. I think that's going to be something. I'm not sure that I'm not sure the teaching field is ready for reality. <laughs> reality? What's that? Is that a TV show? Well, I, I've the, watched reality. I mean, TV. Science, science. You know, facts. Okay, but um, I think <laughs> but how you, people learn. I'm not, you understand where I'm going with? Oh, this absolutely. One. And you know, yeah, is that I've, you know, why, I why isn't it, it? Why isn't it happening right now? I mean, why well, hasn't it happened before? I mean, why? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. You know, the, frustration. We, we, you know. Well, 
the point is that we get, to, and I'm especially guilty of this too, you know, um, uh, by the way, I forgot to mention I'm having a truly epic battle with my first class on Monday mornings. They are unmotivated, uninterested. <laughs> and it's my first class Monday morning, and it's really hard. But the idea of the fact we talk about motivation, for example, and hmm. the students are unmotivated, when instead I wonder whether or not I should be looking at what kind of you know cognitive load I'm putting on the students. Is it too much for their working memory so that they can't even engage the materials? You know, these are and these are very basic concepts, and I know the people out there are out there who know these a lot better. But the fact that this wasn't a basis of my teacher training. Uh, and it's not something that's talked about in uh, the teacher's room, right? Is somebody say, hey, you know, how are you, you know, how do you know whether or not the way you're introducing the material is the best way? Yeah, in terms of a whole other thing. Yeah, teacher training. Uh, okay, so everybody knows maybe what one of our next episodes is going mm, to be about. Yeah, but how do you train? How do you, how do you train a teacher? Ooh, yeah. Well, I, I can tell you how not to train a teacher. Well, there we go. <laughs> but then again, I want to, but you know, I want to, we, it's hard to give the positive, but there's a lot of negative examples. I think we're seeing a lot though from T, um, Teach America, the program in the United States mm. where people are volunteering and they have massive amounts of data about what makes a teacher, what teachers need to learn. I think that's the other thing, by the way, and talking about teaching for the future is things are going to be so much more data driven. Mm. We're now able to actually have the data, access data, yeah. and actually see what's happening. And that'll you know, be a good thing. Well, that's another argument, by the way, for everybody out there. Get onto a learning management system. Have your students posting to forums because it's not just has its benefits, but the point is, I have now lots of writing samples that I can crunch if I want. Well, we I should have... we should uh, do that as one of the hands-on episodes in the future. Uh, uh, I think how, a lot uh, of people, including me, would need help with this. So maybe that's a good thing, which is yes. Yes, teaching for the future, the hands-on, real practical aspects of yeah. that. But again, I would suggest to people out there, there's so much going on. And it's not directly in our field as language teachers hmm. where the exciting things are taking place in terms of education and, you know, broadening the concept instead of saying, yes. hey, I am a language teacher, Bingo. refer to yourself and think of yourself as an educator. Bingo. And I don't say teacher anymore. I say I am an educator. Well, that's what's on all my blurbs, my online blurbs as I mm. go through. Yeah, I'm now a teacher, professor, educator. Mm. So we have a lot to go through. So I think we've covered some of these things. Yeah, nice start. Good yeah, Good this talk. is a, definitely an ongoing topic. Again, would love to hear what people think about yeah. this topic and what you're doing to either prepare your students or yourselves for the future. Or why you're dragging your feet. And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, it's really because there, I mean, there are valid arguments for resisting change and you know, taking my argument like you know, the basics and traditional liberal arts education um, you know, farther than I, I I almost said to an extreme, not to an extreme necessarily, but farther out, uh, and um, reasons why not to jump on the newest bandwagon. Or whatever. Well, okay. you know, whatever your whatever your opinion is, yeah, we'd love to hear it. Well, we're arguing against jumping on the newest bandwagon and mm. trying to find out, right, really what is needed to prepare our students for a future world that is unpredictable. And is even difficult to envision. So yes, we'd love to hear from you at um, two teachers talking at gmail dot com. The website is two teachers talking dot com. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably know that we're on iTunes as two teachers talking. And I think Tony, um, what are we thinking about next time for our next episode? Haven't thought about it actually. We have thought about it, but I don't think we came to a decision. We haven't decided yet, yeah. right? So you got an idea. I have a, no? too many ideas, right? Yeah. Actually, I would do the hands-on aspect, the follow-up to today's discussion. Would you, will you be ready to do that um, for next time with your your um, online learning environment thing? I might be able to do okay. that. You know, and I can I can I can very easily play the naive. The knife, yes. The knife, the knife, <laughs> the knife. <laughs> the <knave>. oh. <laughs> so the knife yeah, put the, the load knave. on Fanny, right? There you go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, because I'd like to learn too. Okay. And we will post the link for the Ken Robinson talk that I mentioned yes. before. Um, it's an interesting talk. 
Um, it has certain weaknesses, but overall, I think his argument that creativity is as important as literacy is an important argument. And we didn't even talk today about really supporting creativity. Right, right, in right. In the classroom. We and we well, didn't even get good into... Good luck with that. Yes, especially in Japan. Jeez, yeah. So maybe that's another episode to there talk about. How do we support you know creativity in our class? Risk-taking. And yeah. we got a lot to go for. Yeah, the, the link to the Robinson article will be on the webpage, but if you can write quickly or type quickly, I've got a uh, a bit.ly address. So it's http, you know, colon slash slash bit dot ly slash t3 dash Robinson. So two teachers talking at uh, t3. So t3 dash Robinson. Uh, it's a bit.ly address that'll get you there. But the link will be on the on the webpage. Actually, that's a great question. Why is two teachers talking T3? <laughs> two, two, two. I know. I got it. I know T cubed. I got T cubed. But it's kind of – please go to two teachers talking at T3. Wait, Don't get hung it. up on the numbers. Ah, that's some good advice for uh, teaching for the future. There you go. Don't get hung up on the numbers. Don't get hung up on the platform. And don't get hung up on what's cool and in and hot today because and, it won't be tomorrow. Yeah, don't get scared. Mm. Or stay scared. I don't know. Either one. Be afraid. <laughs> be very works. afraid. Right. And, but the point is, uh, it's, yeah, it's, nobody knows right now. So this is going to be something interesting to see how it unfolds. It'll be interesting to see in three or four years whether or not our predictions are accurate. So, all right, Tony. So it's Sunday. There we go. And Sunday means? More work. More work. Preparation and pa- ah, I got papers to grade today. Hmm. Yeah, that I will look forward to a, a system that can grade papers for me. That will, it's coming. It will be. Here. It's coming. Yes, it's called the teaching assistant. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, Tony. So thanks a lot. It was nice talking to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good weekend. Yeah, well, right. not left what's left of the weekend. Yes, you too. Okay, bye. Bye. Right.